Once again, thank you for being here tonight. And uh, fellas, great job with the music. And uh, Brother Cobra, I did not know that you played the piano. I mean, some guys get it all, don't they? And uh, that was a beautiful song right there at the end. And I'm so glad to be here uh, in this church. You know, uh, I've had the privilege of praying for Arise Baptist Church before it started and then through these first few years. And to be honest with you, I've been looking forward to being here and uh, seeing firsthand. I've heard about this auditorium and this property and, and uh, yet to see it today just thrilled my heart. I'm so thankful for what God is doing. And uh, I love your pastor. I, I spent some time today with him and uh, it's a rare thing to see someone that has a heart for God like he does, a heart for a city like he does, and then a heart for the people in this church. And he's been calling so many of you by name. Here's what God's doing in their life. Here's how they got saved. Here's what the Lord's doing in discipleship and all of these different things. And we got to go out and uh, see David's work today and uh, uh, just so many good things that God's doing. And folks, let me just tell you something. Cherish every moment of it. You know, along uh, the, the life of your Christian, along the journey of your Christian life, if you're not careful, you'll miss some of the special moments. And I was thinking about uh, when we started 35 years ago with 12 people. 35 years ago, and many of those folks are still at Lancaster Baptist Church. And together we just step back and say, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. And the devil try to get you discouraged and wearing a permanent frown and get you out of church. Just say no to the devil and say yes to Christ. And just keep the joy of the Lord every step of the way. And uh, you'll be glad that you did. And you'll look back someday and you'll say, I am so glad that I became a part of a Rise Baptist Church in the early years to see the great things that God has done. And so thank you for having us. Thank you for the wonderful hospitality. We went out today and had probably the best fajitas I've ever had in my entire life. And uh, I'm trying to think of it now. What, what was the saying here? Uh, it's pretty good. That's what the saying was of the restaurant. And it was pretty good. I got to tell you what. So uh, I've enjoyed the hospitality. I've enjoyed meeting several of you already. And uh, we're out in California, and uh, you pray for us. You know, we've had 13 times they've walked into our church while I've been preaching the last several months and written us a ticket and given us a fine just for having church. And it's been an unusual season of ministry, but I'm so glad that week after week, still, people have been saved and God's been working and it's been a little bit awkward. Uh, but how many of you believe greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world? And we just want to keep our trust in the Lord. And I enjoyed being at your church today too, brother. What was your name again? Brother Mendoza. Man, I'll tell you what, just excited for the Lord. And uh, thank you for that great testimony. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we're glad to uh, have the privilege to preach and to see uh, many new friends and some old friends. I'm glad to see Josh over here. Josh Tanner graduated from our high school and his mom and dad have been in our church many years and it's always a joy to see folks staying faithful to Christ. Turn in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's stand as we turn to verse number 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. My wife, uh, Terry, doesn't travel a lot with me, uh, but she's here tonight. Sweetheart, would you raise your hand right over here? And I'm so glad that she came out here with me and uh, spent this uh, few days in Texas. Terry was saved through the bus ministry of the church where I grew up. And uh, someone knocked on her door and asked if she'd like to come to church. And she wasn't that interested. And then they said, tomorrow we're going to have free ice cream for all the kids that ride the bus. And suddenly the Lord started moving in her heart. And uh, she came to church on the bus. And uh, a few nights later, a soul winner went to her house and opened up the Bible and led her to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And uh, we thank the Lord for soul winning and for the way it's touched our life and touched our family. And so tonight, I'd like to preach to you on the subject of reaching our generation for Christ. Reaching our generation for Christ. Uh, by the way, one of the reasons Terry doesn't like to go a lot with me, she doesn't like to fly very much. And one thing I want to tell you, if you get out and start doing some flying, really try to be filled with the Spirit before you go to the airport. Because there's a lot of things with COVID, there's a lot of extra requirements, and I heard about a guy the other day, he was standing in line at Delta counter and in front of him there was a man who was just yelling at the Delta agent, just yelling and yelling at him and having a bad attitude, being blurgent, even, even cursed. Finally, he walked away and the next man stepped up and he said to the Delta employee, 
How in the world do you put up with people like that treating you that way? And the Delta employee said, oh, he said, that jerk that was just here, it's easy. He's going to Dallas, but his luggage is going to Jacksonville. <laughs> and I'm just here to tell you, you better keep a good attitude when you're out and about because you never know what might happen. And so we made it. We're glad for the safety thus far. 2 Timothy 3, I want to read tonight from verse number 12, and we'll read down through verse number 14 for our text. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, look along with someone right by you. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Father, we pray that you would help us to continue on in doing what you've called us to do in reaching others with the gospel. We thank you for the theme of this church, Forward. We thank you for what you've done already, the miraculous things that you've done in this church, and thank you for some others here from other churches tonight. Lord, would you just knit our hearts together around your word and around the cause that you've given to us? Would you sharpen us and strengthen us tonight? and help us in your hand that you've called us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I believe there comes a time in everyone's life when they begin to think in terms of how can I bless the generation coming up behind me? How can I help the generation around me? Perhaps that process begins in your life when you start to have children. And you think in terms of the responsibility of training the children or perhaps when you reach a certain age, maybe 30 or 40 or 50, and you start to think, you know, if I'm going to get something done for God, I better start at some point in my life. Maybe it's when you make a will and you're thinking in terms of the things that you're going to leave to the people that you love or perhaps doing some type of estate planning. One of the things that most of us would agree upon this evening is that It is far more important that we leave a spiritual legacy and that we leave a gospel testimony than anything material that we could ever give to our children or our family. Now, I have four children. We have 11 grandchildren, and I I delight in doing things for them. I delight in in spoiling them, and and they know that they can't get chocolate at home, but they can get it from Grandma and Grandpa. They know that when they come over, and, and we kind of enjoy spoiling them. But you know, more than anything else, I want to leave for them a godly testimony. I want to leave for them the truth of the Word of God. And the challenge for those of us who are thinking in terms of the next generation, the challenge for us tonight is how can we transfer the faith to the next generation when there is such an inundation of secularism and humanism and all of the various philosophies that battle against their mind. You know, everyone that you meet and witness to and everyone that you disciple, they come from a different background. They have a different worldview. They have different influences on their life. And and if you're like me, you're praying, Lord, give me wisdom to know uh, what to say and which verses to apply so that I can help them to grow and so that we can pass down the gospel to this next generation. Now, Paul the Apostle speaks about the last days and I want you to notice in verse 1 of this chapter, he says to Timothy, this young preacher to whom he is writing, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now the word perilous is an interesting word, and this is going to define a little bit of the context in which we minister, in which we are witnessing and discipling. And the word perilous describes that context. The word perilous means a continual slackening or an unraveling from a higher place to a lower place. Unraveling, that's a good description of our culture today. Families are unraveling. The social fabric is unraveling. 
and we see the hate on the left and on the right and we, we hear about all the difficulties in our land and, and the word perilous means there's going to be a time of unraveling when people are moving from a good moral culture into a time of lawlessness, immorality and anarchy. That's what unraveling means and that is what we're seeing and yet in the midst of that we have this challenge to win and disciple, this challenge to raise up a next generation, to leave a godly legacy in an unraveling culture cannot be done without God's help today. You're not going to have a strong marriage or raise godly children without the help of the Lord. We're not going to build soul-winning, vibrant churches in this culture without the help of the Lord. And, and I believe the greatest way that we can reach our families and our generation is to teach them by example. And this is really what Paul wanted to be for his Timothy. And many of us are influencing others. And we can learn from the Paul-Timothy relationship. For example, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 and 10, he said, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, charity, and patience. And think about that statement. Paul said, now, Timothy, you have fully known my doctrine. Doctrine is a set of beliefs. You know, you ought to pray that you'd be the kind of man or woman that people know where you stand. It's my prayer that no one would ever come to Lancaster Baptist Church for a two to three week period without understanding that we believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we believe in heaven sweet and hell hot and the eternal security of the believer. I want to be the kind of preacher and the kind of church where people don't have to visit long before they know what we believe about the Word of God. We're not going to be the kind of church that's trying to sneak the truth in the back, you know. We want to be up front with the truth of the Word of God. And Paul said, Timothy, you have known my doctrine. You know that our children need to know where we stand on the Word of God. Church members need to know where we stand on the Word of God. He said, Timothy, you knew my manner of life, that is to say, my testimony. And so the relationship between Paul and Timothy was a relationship that showed forth consistent testimony from Paul to Timothy. Turn very quickly in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. As we just think about this matter of, of passing the truth to the next generation, I want you to see a pattern as a parent that I believe will help you as a discipler, as a Sunday school teacher that will help you. In Philippians 4.9, the apostle writes and he says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now notice this concept, the things you've learned, received, and heard, but notice this phrase, and seen in me. Would you say that please? And you see, people do what people see. Many times our children are just going to repeat what they see at home. Many times in the church, people come, they're looking for a mentor, they're looking for an example, and Paul didn't just say, do what I tell you to do. He said, the things you've heard and the things that you have, have received and learned, he said, those things you've seen in me, I want you to do those things. And even as Paul wrote from a Mamertine prison where he could have been pouting and upset and complaining and talking about the hypocrites and the people that didn't care, even in Philippi, he was filled with joy and he was encouraging. He said, Timothy, uh, I want you to follow my example. In church at Philippi, I want you to follow my example. Even in the final hours of his life, the Bible shows in 2 Timothy that he was challenging Timothy to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see an example in this second Timothy of a man challenging a younger man to continue forward with the gospel, leaving a godly legacy. And tonight I want to share with you a few principles that I hope will help all of us to do a better job at transferring the truth to the next generation. I think every parent here wants to see their children living for God. I think every Sunday school teacher and every discipler wants to influence that next generation. And all of us can say, I could do a better job of sharing the truth and leaving the truth in this generation. And so let me give you a few thoughts from the scriptures tonight. First of all, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to teach with courage. I want you to have courage in teaching the truth of the Word of God. Now, if you've studied about Timothy, you might surmise, as I have, that he needed that little bit of encouragement. Uh, he was possibly weak constitutionally. He was somewhat timid, maybe more so than the Apostle Paul. Paul was the type of guy, 
he would get stoned one day in Lystra and the next day he'd go preach somewhere else. And, and sometimes Timothy needed that little bit of admonition, that little bit of encouragement along the way. And in verse number 12, Paul is simply reminding Timothy when he says to him, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He says, Timothy, you just need to know this is going to be part and parcel with being in the ministry. If you're going to stand up for Jesus Christ, then there will come some trials and some difficulty into your life. And that's why in Ephesians 6.10, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Because if we're going to have this persecution and these challenges, we must be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is teaching Timothy that he should expect trials. The expectation of trials is mentioned here in verse number 12. All those who will live godly. The word will means who choose it. Who determine to live for Christ. You know, there will come a place in our lives when we just have to make a choice. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Many Christians today, and I see it in so many churches today, Christians that do not want the stigma of a committed Christian life. Now, I don't think we should go around trying to get people mad at us or wanting people to not like us anymore. The fact is, if you intend to go through this life living for Christ, not laughing at the wrong jokes and, and, uh, and, and teaching the truth of the Word of God and believing that, uh, that there's a holy God in heaven who's, whose presence should change our lives, not everyone's going to say, oh, wonderful, he's a Christian living for Jesus Christ. And some will despise the fact that you live for Jesus Christ. And this is what he says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Many today are caught up with these woke philosophies and many are caught up in these ideas that, uh, that uh, are the exact opposite of the Word of God. And if we're going to stand in the middle of that culture, then we must determine to do it in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ because He says, all who will live godly shall suffer persecution. The Bible says in Acts 14 and verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we through much tribulation must enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't like tribulation. I don't like difficult days, but I'm here to say tonight that if we are going to leave a godly legacy, then we must will to live godly in Christ Jesus. It is something that we must do courageously. We must teach this courage to our children. Atheism is feeding relativism and anarchy all across this land. And we are doing our best to raise up a generation of people who will stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there must be the expectation of trials. And I think sometimes as a parent, we need to take time and say, now look, look to to your son, to your daughter. There may be times when someone makes fun of you because... You don't partake in these activities. And if you're going to will to live godly in Christ Jesus, there might be someone who makes fun of you. Maybe when you're discipling, you might need to say to that new Christian, now, as the Lord begins to change your life, and as you gain some convictions, and as you make some changes that the Holy Spirit's leading you to make, there might be somebody who makes fun of you. There might be somebody who criticizes you. And Paul is expressing these truths to Timothy to prepare him for the expectation of trials. But notice, secondly, then the deception of the age. He's saying, I want you to have courage in the midst of this age in which we live. Verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Here we see the prevalence of this evil that Timothy was to expect the ungrounded and unbelieved, unbelieving are going to be uh, more and more difficult to deal with, he says. It's going to wax worse and worse. There are going to be challenges. In fact, Jesus said in John 15 and verse 18, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Sometimes when you go through some perhaps persecution, it's easy for all of us to get a little self-pity and, you know, why'd they make fun of me and why is life so hard? You know a way to cure that many times is to look at the cross of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, they hated me. You know, why do we expect to go through life without opposition and difficulties? This is what Paul's saying. Timothy, you need to know that this is prevalent. It's going to come. We're fighting a law in California right now to try to pass a law, the state legislature, that you're not allowed in the toy departments of the large stores like Macy's, Penny's, and Sears to have a boy's department and a girl's department. They want to take away the word boy and the word girl 
And if the store keeps the word boy or girl, they will be fined $1,000 a day by the state's attorney general. It's nothing more than an attempt by the LBGTQ movement to desensitize young people to the fact that they are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And our culture is continually evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. And we need to teach our children in the midst of this age and young Christians to have courage in the Lord and to take their confidence and their trust in the Lord. It's a prevalent problem, Paul says to Timothy. And we're going to have to take our stand. And so many times churches today, uh, instead of standing, are capitulating. They don't want the stigma of standing up for what the truth says. But we need to raise some Daniels today and some Timothys today. We need to raise up some young men and women who will with courage stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Timothy, this is a prevalent problem. It's waxing worse and worse. In fact, he says it's a prophesied problem. It's something that that we've heard about. And he himself prophesied in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. If you want to turn back there, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, there's going to come a time, Timothy, when some that were even in church and they had Bibles and, and you know, they were kind of a part of the fellowship that, that, that suddenly, according to 1 Timothy 4 and verse 2, they're going to depart from the faith and their conscience is going to become so hardened like someone who burns their thumb on the fryer or their thumb uh, on the stove and, and it calluses and you put a pin to it and you can't even feel it. And there are some people that get so far from the Lord they can no longer feel the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul had prophesied this. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 2, he says that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That falling away, the word is apostasy. And I believe there will be a great falling away, yes, during the tribulation, but even prior to that time we're beginning to see people that are falling away from the truth. The Laodicean church, there's, there's this apathy. It's a prophesied apathy. And in the midst of it, evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse and sometimes affecting even the spirit of Christians. And with all of that, We must teach the next generation to take courage in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be strong in the Lord, Paul said to Timothy. Stand in the spirit of the Lord. We must teach courage. But notice, secondly, we must not only teach with courage, but we must teach our children and we must teach our new Christians with conviction. With conviction. Now, keeping the faith is not a guaranteed thing. You know, one of the reasons I believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God, it just tells the whole truth and nothing but the truth about every person in the Bible, whether it's David's sin with Bathsheba, whether it's Demas hath forsaken me. The Bible doesn't gloss over the fact that some people don't finish well. And if we're going to finish well, we must keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. We must understand that it will take courage and the Spirit It will take convictions from the Word of God because the men and women who have uh, moved this world are the men and women who have not been changed and moved by the worldly influences around them. And it is a decision that must be made. Now, there must be convictions in the life of that next generation that are taught by you and by me. Notice in verse 14, the Bible says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. And may I say tonight that the primary barometer of growth in a church is not numerical. It is our adherence to the truth. Our adherence to the truth. He says, I want to challenge you, Timothy, to continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. You know, I think about this matter of training children or training a new Christian in the Word of God. And really much of it comes down to helping them have this doctrine, this set of beliefs, this, these convictions that they can live their life by. I think about the fact that so many times people enjoy the music or the fellowship or the architecture or these variables about a church. But what really brings us together tonight, while there are perhaps a few other churches here tonight, is not necessarily architecture of a Rise Baptist church. It has something to do with what this church believes. 
because doctrine is the glue that holds us together. And the only way to see one generation and the next generation serving the Lord Jesus Christ together is that we have a common bond in the truth, the doctrine of the Word of God. Continue thou in the things which thou hast both learned and been assured of. And so many times people attend church and yet they're not getting the doctrine. They're not getting grounded. Reminds me of the Sunday school teacher that had, or the, Christian, or the uh, public school teacher that had a show and tell time and she said to her students, she said, boys and girls, she said, tomorrow we're going to have show and tell and I want each of you to come and tell a little bit about your religion. And so they came in the next day and the first little girl, she got up there and she said, my name is Mary and I am Roman Catholic and this is a crucifix. And everybody was kind of like, oh. And then the next little boy, he got up and he said, my name is Benjamin and I am Jewish and this is the Star of David. And everyone kind of was interested in that. And then the next boy got up. He said, my name is Johnny, and I am a Baptist, and this is a casserole. (laughs) Now, sometimes that's kind of how it is. Folks, we're not going to reach the next generation. We're not going to build strong churches if it's all about the casserole. I love the casserole. I love having fun at church. But somewhere along the line, we've got to come back to the truth that you would continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of. In these two little books of 1 and 2 Timothy, you'll find the word doctrine 12 times. 12 different times Paul says, Timothy, don't forget what I taught you. Don't forget the doctrine. Don't forget the set of beliefs. And we're finding today that there's less and less doctrine in churches and and, and many songs, but not much mention of doctrine in the songs. And many sermons, but not much mention of of doctrine in the sermons. And many classes, uh, but not much mention of doctrine. And sometimes the doctrine that is mentioned is not the doctrine of the Word of God. God has not called us to worship the creation. He's called us to worship the Creator. And we must preach and teach the doctrine of the Word of God. I think of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1 and 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm thankful tonight that Jesus Christ came to bring salvation uh, to men and women and boys and girls in Houston. And that would not be possible if we did not have the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. The fact that God was manifest in the flesh. Hey, that's the difference between what we see down uh, in one of the temples and in the cults and in all of these different religions. We have a risen Savior the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Thomas looked at Jesus on one occasion and he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus did not say, Thomas, don't call me God. He received that worship because he is God. He is God in the flesh. And the scriptures tell us, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What does that tell us? It tells us that our virgin-born Savior lived on this earth for 33 and a half years. He was tempted just like we are, and yet He never sinned. He is the perfectly sinless Son of God who went to the cross of Calvary and shed His blood there. And that blood is efficacious for the sins of the entire world. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved the atoning work of jesus christ this is the doctrine that brings us together tonight for christ also hath suffered once for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but quickened in the spirit i'm thankful tonight that i have a loving savior who shed his blood for my sin i'm thankful tonight that he was placed in that uh, tomb but three days later up from the graves he arose arose with a mighty triumph or his foes hey we've got some great doctrine to teach our city to teach our children to teach the next generation the doctrine of christ May I say tonight that we need to make much of the doctrine of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many times today the church is just relegated to an hour on Sunday morning and they ought to be glad I showed up and this type of thing. May I tell you tonight, it is a great privilege to be a member of a New Testament Baptist church. We ought to make much of Jesus. We ought to thank God for the church of the Lord Jesus. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. Colossians 1 and 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, the head of our congregation. And we ought to thank him tonight for the church. And by the way, the Bible says he gives to the church some pastors and evangelists and teachers. And and I want you to understand tonight that God has given to you a pastor and he's not the chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's 
the under-shepherd, but you ought to thank God tonight that you have an under-shepherd that loves God and loves his family and loves the Word of God and he's passionate to preach the Word of God. And let me tell you something, when the doors of this church open, you ought to say, by the grace of God, I'm going to be faithful to the New Testament church. The doctrine of the church is something that is special. I think of the doctrine of Christ, so many doctrines, the doctrine of the church. Can I just mention briefly the doctrine of, of sanctification? Can I just mention briefly that the Christian life is a holy life? And that if we are in Christ, we're to be new creatures? Can I remind you that uh, there are a lot of philosophies of grace abounding in Christendom today and many today that think that grace is sort of their license to live however they want. And Well, I was sanctified when I got saved, so I can kind of live however I want to live. And boy, that takes them on a, on a series of pragmatic decisions and many times into a life of abject failure because God has, has desire that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. And the only way that happens is by the Word of God and the Spirit of God working in my heart. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 for the grace of God hath appeared unto all men, bringing salvation to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Grace is not our license to live the way we want to live. Grace is God's teacher showing us how to live for Jesus Christ. To grow in grace does not mean I will live a more ungodly life. There is a doctrine in the Bible of sanctification. There is a doctrine of holiness in the Bible that is being forgotten by a generation of Christians today. And we need to teach our children the Christian life is a holy life. Oh, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean we're never going to sin. It just means that if I'm growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, if I'm growing in grace, His Spirit is going to lead me in the paths of righteousness. I heard about a preacher that was out visiting not long ago and, and uh, he was walking down the street making some visits and he saw man that having a yard sale and there's a little boy sitting in the front selling some of the things and there was a lawnmower there and the preacher said to the boy he said how much is that lawnmower i need a lawnmower and the boy said well i want enough to buy a new bike he said i'll take forty dollars for this lawnmower and the preacher said that's a good deal and he took the lawnmower and he started trying to start the lawnmower and it wasn't starting very easily and he uh he said young man he says i can't get this lawnmower to start the boy said well if you want it to start you're gonna have to cuss at it and the preacher said, well, I've, I've been saved a long time, and I've been a preacher for a long time. He said, young man, he said, I, I haven't cussed since forever. I can't even think about, about that. And the little boy said, well, listen, just keep pulling that string. It'll come right back to you. <laughs> That's sort of how the flesh is sometimes, isn't it? You know, you get in the flesh, and sometimes those things come back. But when you walk in the Spirit, when you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Holy Spirit will produce more godliness, not less godliness. These are doctrines from the Word of God. The doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of the local New Testament church. And, and we must have convictions in this day. We must have some guidelines that show us, hey, this is right from the Word of God and I'm going to live according to the teachings of the Word of God. There must be convictions of doctrine. I want to say also we must have convictions of discipleship. And I want you to see this in verse 14. The Bible says, But the things that thou hast learned, the things uh, that thou hast learned and been assured of, this is, these are speaking of the doctrine, continue in those things. And notice it says, Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Let's say that together. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So we have the importance of the doctrine, continue in the things you have learned. That's the doctrine. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them tells me that God uses human instrumentality to transfer this truth from one generation to another. You ever wonder why God didn't just like put it in our brains? And you, know, you ever wonder something like that? And I know what people say, well, I don't follow no man. Well, you know, that sounds real spiritual, but that we would be taught by someone else, that we would learn and grow from the truth of the Word of God as someone else leads along the way. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He was to be the example, and he was to be the one uh, that was the human instrument that taught them along the way how to live the Christian life. And this is what we learn in verse 14. He says, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Here we see discipleship in a very personal way. Discipleship is a transference of truth from one person to another person. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. 
the things that thou hast learned of me amongst many faithful witnesses, the same commit thou to others who shall be able to teach others also. So you cannot have discipleship, you cannot have a next generation without both the truth and someone sharing the truth. And, and, and this is so important as the apostle says, and remember who you learned it from. Now here's the tragedy, that the glorious truths of the doctrine of the word of God might not be embedded into the hearts of the next generation because we are not living according to the doctrines of the truth of the word of God. That's why the devil loves it when a pastor messes up or a faithful man in the church gets mad and leaves or a lady that was discipling gets discouraged and she gets her feelings hurt or someone says no one paid me attention i'm going to go to the garden and eat worms or somebody just decides they're going to go off and not go to church at all all of a sudden all that truth that precious truth the person that was learning from that other person begins many times to turn away from the truth. Isn't it a blessing that Paul could say, here's the wonderful truth, continue in it, and remember the one that taught you that truth. I'm still living in the truth. Parents, if you have a child that's not living for the Lord, maybe a grown child, can I just encourage you, continue in the truth of the Word of God. You have somebody that you were discipling and they fell by the wayside and you kind of feel like a failure. Can I just encourage you, keep on being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ because somewhere along the line, they're going to be out at some job or riding some train through Houston and they're just going to be thinking about the fact that, well, it's, uh, it's Wednesday night, he's probably at church. It's Sunday morning, he's probably at church. And, and they'll think about those truths that you taught them. Discipleship is a transfer of truth. It's also a transfer of life. Look, if you would, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but our own souls because you were dear unto us. Did you find that yet? We were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only. That's the truth, the gospel of God. He said, we didn't depart unto you the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. Isn't that a great verse? He said, church, we didn't just give you the Bible verses. We poured our life into it. We poured our life into it. You know, let's be careful about this idea of just, you know, teaching from the curriculum, just reading some words or, you know, I got to go through this duty and just do this. Don't you thank God for preachers and teachers, maybe youth workers and choir leaders that, boy, they're, they're with their whole heart and soul, they're teaching the Word of God. And don't we know that our children understand, listen, if you come to church and it's time to sing and your children are watching you, they know if your whole soul's into it. Don't be surprised when they turn 18 and walk away from it. Because they'll know if you're really truthfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, look at I, I didn't just depart unto you the gospel. I gave you my own soul because you were dear unto us. That's why we just poured it into you and we shared it with you as best we could because we wanted you to know the truth of God. And I believe today that we must have convictions of doctrine, but we must have some convictions about discipleship. And our conviction should be this. The truth of God is what eternally matters, but the servant of God must be totally committed in the process if we're going to bear fruit. We must have a total passion for what God has called us to do and sometimes along the way and you're trying to train the next generation you're trying to work in discipleship and you're being passionate and sometimes things don't go the way you want them to go I recognize that and not everybody grows at the same level not everybody just suddenly is living that sanctified life you know and it takes a little patience I was saying to some of some fellas yesterday at a luncheon we had a lady saved at our church some time ago her name was Laura and uh, on a Sunday night, I was preaching about serving God. I said, we need to really serve God. And, and if you want to serve the Lord, come and, and make a decision to serve the Lord. And Laura came forward, and it was exciting that she came forward. The problem was she was a very new Christian. She was 72 years old. She got saved at age 72. And she had a lot of rough habits still. She was a smoker and a drinker, and uh, she uh, played uh, a lot of games at the casinos and it was not to support envy and self-reliance she just liked to gamble and that's why she went and now she's standing right here in the front telling me she wants to serve the lord and i remember thinking lord help me with this because she can't be a teacher of the fifth grade girls or the junior high class what do i do and i said laura come and see me tomorrow we'll talk about it and she came and i said laura would you be willing to 
uh, to clean out the auditorium and do some vacuuming and things like that on, on Mondays. And she said, I sure will. And she was so excited, and she got the vacuum cleaners all cleaned and ready, and she came and she vacuumed that church, and, and uh, she was so thankful. And when she had to smoke, she went out back where the deacons go. It worked out perfect. It was just fine. And one day she came to me, and she, she had an envelope, and we were trying to buy some property at the time, and, and she said, Pastor, I want you to have this envelope. I want you to open it up. And, and you know, we pastors, we're supposed to act disinterested in things like that. But the truth be known, we want to know what's in those envelopes, to be honest about it. And so she's like, here's the envelope. I'm like, oh, Laura, that's between you and God. Take it over to the bookkeeper. They'll be glad to help you with it. And she, she started getting a little insistent. And I honestly thought she was going to cuss at me. She had a strange way of telling me I preached a good sermon. She was uh, quite a colorful character. And so she's holding that envelope. And I said, all right, all right, I'll open it. And I opened it up. And inside the envelope, there were five brand new $100 bills. And she said, Pastor... I've been playing bingo for a long time, but I didn't start winning until I got saved. <laughs> and some of you might say, well, did you teach her about the evil of gambling? No, we were in a building program. We needed a... No. <laughs> we began to talk to her about some of those things. But here's what I'm telling you. In discipling and training others, it may be three steps forward and two steps backward. There may be someone that didn't grow as much as you thought. But let me just encourage you to have convictions about discipleship. I think of Timothy. Timothy did not have a saved father. He had a saved mother and a saved grandmother, Lois and Eunice. He came from a family that wasn't, you know, the typical Christian mom and dad and everybody going to church. But somewhere along the line, Lois and Eunice were consistent and faithful and they poured the truth, but they also poured their lives into Timothy. And Paul came along and and he made up such a difference and God used Timothy to become a great leader of the early church because he was taught with courage and he was taught to have convictions. And then I want you to see this finally. Not only do we need to teach the next generation with courage, not only do we need to teach them with convictions, but we must teach them with confidence confidence to stand in this evil day now can i say tonight that a biblical worldview is more powerful than the culture all around us our children need to have a biblical worldview and they need to have confidence that the word of god is right let god be true and every man a liar and notice where timothy's worldview came from verse 15 the bible says and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Can I just say this, moms and dads? Don't ever get the idea of thinking, well, the kids don't get a lot out of the church service. I mean, we got the kids in here tonight. They don't get a lot out of it. Sometimes they get more than you do. And they may just get a phrase, and they may just get a song. They may just get the idea that this is important. But the fact is that Timothy, from the time he was a child, was taught in the Word of God. And he began to gain a confidence in the very Word of God as his guide in his life. Verse 16 tells us, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so there must be confidence in God's Word. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Second Peter 1 and 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And we need to teach our children the Bible is the Word of God. It is holy without error. It is trustworthy. It is a lamp unto our path. It is something that we can follow and trust. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And the joints and marrow is a discerner, a discerner of the thought and intents of the heart they need to know that they can trust the word of god and there are so many things in this world crying out for them so much in the media so many false messages but the word of god will never let them down we must have confidence in the word of god now the devil's going to try to shake that they're going to go to college they're going to go to work somewhere someone's going to make fun of them that's why i believe so strongly in good Bible-believing fundamental colleges where the things that are taught at home and at the church are not questioned and challenged, but they are affirmed and reaffirmed as they grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I heard about a boy that was sitting on an airplane next to an atheist professor, and he was uh, kind of reading his Bible, and the man asked him, he said, what are you reading? The boy said, well, I'm reading about where God opened up the waves of the Red Sea, and he let the children of Israel go through and right through the middle. The man said, oh, that can be very easily explained. He said, that's no miracle. He said, that was just a low tide and, and uh, said, really, it was just about 10 inches deep at that time. And the Israelites just kind of waded across. And 
the little boy was, you know, he's a little confused at first. He thought about that for a moment, and and um, the man just thought for sure he'd shaken the boy's faith. And suddenly the little boy brightened up. He said, wow. He said, God is greater than I thought. Not only did he lead the whole nation of Israel through the Red Sea, but he topped it off by drowning the entire Egyptian army in 10 inches of water. We want our children to have confidence in the very Word of God. God's Word can be trusted. Sometimes we face adversity. I think of this past year, I think of so many days I spent on the phone talking to an attorney about the legality of having church when we were being told not to. Uh, talking to the county about, hey, here's what we think we're going to do. Uh, talking maybe to the medical professionals. And, and many times just having to close the door and go into a room and open up the Word of God and say, God, what do you want us to do? And you know, I read in the Bible, it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And We'd put a little message out on social media. Hey, we're going to have church this Sunday. We're going to follow God this Sunday. We're going to do what God has called us to do this Sunday. It's difficult sometimes to follow God. It's difficult in this culture in which we live. And sometimes for teenagers, there's a peer pressure. But let me just remind you, it has not always been easy to be a Christian. I think of the Roman Empire from which much of the New Testament was written during that time and Christianity was not legal in the Roman Empire for the first 300 years. There were at least 600, uh, rather six uh, seasons of great persecution upon uh, those uh, uh, early Christians in the Roman Empire. Many of them were severely persecuted and martyred and many of them lost their entire fortunes uh, just because they were called Christian, yet they were faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think about that period known as the Dark Ages when the Catholic Church uh, brought the Bibles into the squares and, and the parchments and burned them up and many times brought the Christians out and, and burned them as well. And, and uh, many times the persecution would go from city to city to city and the Anabaptists and the Reformers were persecuted and men like Waldo and Wycliffe and Huss and Tyndale, their lives were taken because they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about China. Mao Zedong forced 10,000 missionaries at one time to leave China. Thousands of Christians were banished. And even today in China, many churches are being bulldozed and many Christians are being sent to concentration camps. There's persecution in the world today. And by the way, the best estimates we have is that with all of that persecution, there are nearly 300 million Christians in China worshiping the Lord even today. Sometimes with all of our freedom in America... We've gotten to the idea that, you know, it's really been hard lately. And boy, I tell you what, I don't know if I can keep on going. And I'm not sure if I can go back to church. I can go to Walmart, but I'm not sure I can go back to church. And we get to the idea that maybe God's Word was okay for the last generation, but not really for this generation. Can I encourage you tonight? Keep your confidence in the Word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which believe it is the very power of God. And understand this tonight, that sometimes people may not understand your faith, and, and again, they, uh, evil men and, and seducers may wax worse and worse, but God has given us as His church marching orders to follow Him. Joshua may have looked foolish marching around Jericho, Noah probably looked foolish building an ark in a desert, and Sarah probably looked foolish buying maternity clothes at age 90, and Moses probably looked foolish asking the Pharaoh to let the slaves go, and David probably looked foolish with a slingshot attacking Goliath, and the wise men, they probably looked foolish following a star, and Peter probably looked foolish stepping out on the water in the middle of the night and following the Lord Jesus Christ, and yes, there will be times when to the world we look foolish, but what matters most is that we're keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, and with confidence going forward as the church should Confidently following the Lord Jesus Christ. Confident in the Scriptures. Confidence in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there in verse 15, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation. Can I tell you something tonight? There is still something very powerful about the very Gospel itself. For I am not ashamed, Paul said, of the Gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You say, well, I'm kind of shy. I don't have the gift of gab. Well, first of all, you probably do have the gift of gab. I had a fellow tell me one time, I just don't have the gift of gab. I just don't know if I can be a soul winner. And he could talk about every other subject in the entire world. Sometimes we do get shy when it comes to witnessing. But can I tell you something? We're not trying to draw disciples unto ourselves. 
It's not about your ability to speak or it's not about your oratory ability. If you'll just get the gospel out, God will do the rest. Sometimes even as pastors, we can we can get a little nervous when we start down that road of talking to someone about their soul. I was telling Brother Cover earlier today about a visitor we had in our church a few months ago, and it's back actually back around uh, uh, late October. We had a gentleman that came to our church. He was running for Congress. He was a successful businessman. And uh, he came in between the two services, and, and I began to talk to him. And sometimes you'll meet somebody and you have this sense, I may never see this person again, so I'm going to share the gospel while I can right now. And I was, you know, a little bit concerned about the timing, and I didn't know him, and what would he think? All those normal things. But I just said, listen, Mike, I don't know if I'll get a chance later, so let me just tell you the cornerstone of what our church is all about, something I think you need to know. And I began to share with him that all are sinners and that all one day will stand before the Lord and that without Christ, we don't have a hope of heaven. And the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Went all through the gospel plan. It was almost time for that next service to start. And I said to Mike, I said, Mike, here's the deal. You're here because you're running for Congress I don't want you to pray this prayer right now, just here with me at this very moment. I want you to take a moment. I said, you can pray this prayer later today. You can pray this prayer tonight. But this is the way that a man can know that he's on his way to heaven. I shared that truth with him. I went into the next service. I preached the message. As I preached the message, I gave the altar call. The first man down the aisle was Mike Garcia to trust Christ as his Savior. A few weeks ago, his wife came and accepted Christ as her Savior. I was a little nervous. I was a little hesitant. But let me tell you something. My job is really just to get the gospel out. Your job is just to get the gospel out. Not to have confidence in ourself, but to have confidence in the power of God. I remember a family came to our church years ago, and Dr. Getch was preaching that week. And Dr. Getch stood up, and on Sunday morning, for whatever reason, he's the vice president of our college, he preached on Sunday morning an entire message about tithing. And I'm like some of you, I'm sitting up here and I'm going, what's he doing that for? <laughs> we got all these visitors here and he's going to scare them away. He's preaching a whole message about tithing. I'll never forget Dennis and Janet walking forward and I shook their hand and I'd never seen him before in my life. And I said, how can I help you? And they said, we're here because we need the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. By the way, unsaved people know you're supposed to tithe. It'd be great if saved people figured it out, but unsaved, unsaved people know that. <laughs> They said, we're here to accept Jesus Christ, our Savior. They've been attending our church ever since. He just gave a brief gospel right at the end after he talked about tithing. He talked about how Jesus gave for us, and they came to trust Christ as their Savior. Oh, listen, friend, we must keep our confidence in God's Word. And if we're going to raise up a mighty church, if we're going to raise up families that stand for the Lord, then we must teach with courage. Hey, Perilous times have come. There's unraveling everywhere. But we need to stand like the three Hebrew children. We need to stand in this day for the Lord Jesus Christ with courage. And we, we need to stand with convictions. The things that you've heard continue in those things. And we need to stand today with confidence. Not in ourselves, but confidence in the very Word of God. This God-breathed book that is a book that continues speaking in every generation. It's a timeless book. It's a miraculous book. It's a trustworthy book. And as we go from this place determined to impact our generation and to make disciples for Jesus Christ, let's keep our confidence in Him.